Well, our scripture reading for today comes from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verse 12 through 18, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Going to be turning there. Of course, throughout this series, we've been talking about pursuing Atlanta, but looking at this letter to the Philippian church that, of course, Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words come to us with the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were speaking. So let's hear together the word of Christ, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you'll shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we have, as I said, been talking today, we're thinking today about our place in the city. And actually, I think this passage is really helpful for us understanding what that really means and what that really is. We kind of talked about this passage last week, if you were here. We, we said that Paul has this pattern of moving from gospel clarity to gospel application. He wants to move from what is the gospel what does it mean to be redeemed, saved, called back in a relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus? And then what does that mean? How does that apply to our lives? Gospel clarity, gospel application. And again, just so you know, like Paul, this is Paul's thing. Like he always does this. He does this in all of his letters. I think of Ephesians 2, just as another example. That's a very famous passage of scripture. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and what you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were like the rest of mankind, children of God's wrath, but God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And he seated us in the heavenly places, though, so that in the coming days he may pour out the loving kindness, the riches of his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, so you see beautiful gospel picture from our sin to what Christ has done to where we're going. And then how does that end? Well, it ends with a lot of application. Verse 10, you are God's workmanship. God is working through you. God's doing stuff in your life. Gospel clarity, gospel application. This is the pattern of Paul throughout his whole writing. And again, it's the same thing we see here. We talked about it last week. Philippians 2, this, this very famous passage of Scripture. Jesus, even though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be, I love the translation, a thing to be used for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And, and for our sake, he did this. For our sake, he died. He, he, he died on the cross. He was obedient to death for us who deserved death. But because of his obedience, we have been redeemed. He has been exalted, gospel clarity. And then now gospel application, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so now not only in my 
presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work to his good pleasure. So two things I want to look at today, our place and our place in the city. Our place and our place in the city. So our place. Now, it's hard for me to read the phrase. I don't know if y'all you know, took a philosophy class in college, but it's hard for me to read the phrase fear and trembling and not think of Soren Kierkegaard, right? And not think of the book Fear and Trembling that Kierkegaard, of course, laid out in the 19th century. Kierkegaard was a 19th century philosopher, and, and he was kind of one of the first uh, to ask the question, like, what's this all for, right? What's this all about? Why does life exist? What is the meaning behind all of this? And Kierkegaard wrestled with the struggle between, you know, on one side, you have people, to use this word, that were kind of resigned or kind of passive. What does it matter? What does my life mean? Or on the other side, people that were anxious. This is where Kierkegaard was. They were anxious about everything, right? Everything has so much meaning. What what if I mess up? What if I make a mistake? How can I maneuver life? And you know what? (laughs) It's not too different today, right? It's kind of where people still are. I just think of even like our responses to the election, right? Some people are on one side, they're kind of resigned. It doesn't really matter, politics, whatever, they're gonna do what they're gonna do. Or on the other side, politics is everything. It's all you can think about. It's all that you care about. You know, you're anxious all the time. And so Kierkegaard was saying, what's the middle way? How can you both be active in the world but not be run over by the anxieties of the world? And he actually looked, what he did in the book, if you remember, I think it was like sophomore year of college, we probably read it. But if you remember in the book, he went over, uh, he, he walked through the Abraham story when Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac. And he's like, how did he do this? Right? Isaac was the son of the promise. Isaac was the one that his whole life he'd been waiting on Isaac. He'd wanted Isaac. He'd, God had promised him this offspring. And then all of a sudden God says to go sacrifice him. So how did Abraham follow through with it? How was he not resigned, basically saying, what does it matter? You know, <laughs> what does it matter? I, I, God's been promising me this my whole life. Now he's coming. God was going to kill him. Nothing must matter. Or on the other side, totally anxious and nervous and unable to carry about that. That's not, Abraham finds the third way. Abraham finds the middle of that where he obviously is hurt and maybe even somewhat confused by this, but he carries out God's will. And basically Kierkegaard's conclusion is faith. (laughs) He calls it infinite resignation to trust God. He just trusts God. He finds his identity with God as ultimate. He, he sees, to use Kierkegaard's word, his eternal validity. Now, once you start to see that, once you start to believe that, we've been talking a lot about this, but once you start to see that you are eternally valid, okay, you, you are eternally worth something, that, that will give you an enormous amount of poise and peace and ability to, with patience and kindness, respond in this life. And, and I, I think that's what this passage is about. So gospel clarity, go back to chapter two. What, what I want to do here, actually, look, look in your Bibles at chapter two 
uh, Philippians 2. And then I'm gonna kind of lay in with Philippians 2 some of what Paul says in the book of Colossians. So I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna kind of do a, a, you know how like DJs do a mashup? So I'm gonna do a little Philippians-Colossians mashup here. Uh, but I think it actually helps you better understand what Paul is saying here. So <clears throat> Jesus, who was fully God, right? Fully God. And so Colossians 1, so you can follow along in Philippians 2, but just look on the screen for Colossians 1. Here's how fully God he was. Verse 15 of Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is so fully God that Paul is saying here, he created everything and in fact, everything is actually for him. But this guy did not consider equality with God a thing to be used for his advantage, but he took the form of a servant. He came to serve us. He humbled himself before God and before man. He, he took on our sin, dying in our place and, and overcame our sin in his death and overcame death in his resurrection. And as Philippians 2 said, he's now, he now has the greatest name, the name that is above every name. And here's what he did in all of this. Back to Colossians 1, look at the screen. It says, and you, because what Christ has done, here's what he's achieved. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind because of your sin, doing evil deeds, Christ has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that, of, of which you heard, that which you heard. This is an amazing statement. Through faith, in Christ, because he is holy and blameless and because he was willing to be your substitute, you can be presented now to God, holy and blameless, as righteous as Christ is. And so what does that mean? That means that you're not resigned, things matter, you've been reconciled to God, but you're also not anxious because you've been made whole, you've been made complete in Christ. One more passage, okay? So if this has happened, if Christ has so reconciled us to God, then, now Colossians 3, it's on the screen, verse 1, if this has happened, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, here's something very interesting about Paul too. It's a lot of little Paul features, right? Gospel clarity, gospel application, that's a Paul feature. Another one, Paul understands this positional holiness thing, okay? Or positional sanctification, some people call it. Paul, and Paul sees, if you're in Christ, he understands your position as with Christ, right? Wherever Christ is. If you're in Christ, Paul basically talks as if, not as if you're going to be seated with God someday, but as if you already are seated. Not as if you're going to die and be raised with Christ someday, even though that's actually going to happen, right? But positionally, Paul kind of sees it as if it already has happened. You are now 
with Christ. You are now in Christ wherever he is and the identity that he has as the one who's overcome all things, the identity that he has as the one who is has cleansed our sin in his death and been raised victorious in his resurrection. That's the identity that you have. If, if you have died with Christ, you've died with Christ and you're raised with Christ and now you're seated. And so if you're seated with Christ, act like that is what he's saying. Seek the things that are above. Understand, live out the identity that Christ has given you. That's what he's saying here. Now this is kind of hard to understand positional sanctification or being somewhere else. The, the analogy I think I can give you here that'll help you a little bit. It was fun to watch the Braves make their run. I know Georgia sports, it's tough. But you know what? Hey, let's be grateful. We made it to the NLCS. We had two sweeps in the playoffs, right? There's a lot to be happy about. We got a bright future as Braves fans. But anyway, it was fun to watch it was fun to watch the games. It was a little weird though this year, right? Because we, we weren't, the games weren't here, right? They were, they were out in Dallas. We couldn't go to the games and watch the Braves. Or get, well, you could go out to Dallas. But a couple of our guys did. We had several guys, I think Barrett Atkins, John Harris Britton. But I know that, that uh, Joel Hamm and John Robert Cawthon, several of you others maybe, Joel Hamm and John Robert went out for a few of the games. And um, they were there, they were supporting us. And I was, I was talking to one of their buddies, Okay. And uh, I mean, I was saying, man, I'm so excited about the Rays. This is when we were up in the series against the Dodgers. So excited. You know, I wish I could be there for him. And, and, and one of their buddies said this. I love this. He said, it's okay. John Robert and Joel are there for us. <laughs> and I love this. And, and, and there's a sense where I want you to hear this. What, what he was describing is we're here in Atlanta. Okay. But our hearts, our identity as Braves fans is in Dallas right now. And we actually have like this substitute fan that's in the stadium for us. In a sense, this buddy of theirs was, was finding identity in where they were. And that's the same thing in Christ. It's more than that. But... In Christ, what Paul is saying here is, look, Jesus has already accomplished this. And through faith, if you continue in faith, you are in him. It's as if right now you are seated at the right hand of God. This is where you are. You know, we talk about salvation and there's all these, we did a series called Ordo Salutis where we talk about the order of salvation regeneration, to be, to be born again, to have the spirit of God come alive in you, justification, to be justified before God because the sinless life and atoning death of Jesus, sanctification, to be made holy. But the last phase, this is the one we don't talk about enough. The last phase of salvation, full salvation is experienced with glorification when you're actually in the presence of God. That is salvation. And so Philippians 2, when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he has all of this in mind. Work out your salvation, not just as if you've been regenerated and justified and, sanct and are being sanctified, but work out your salvation as if you're going to be glorified like someone who is right now seated in the heavenly places. This is what Kierkegaard was looking for. This is this idea of total resignation. 
dying with Christ and anchoring your identity in who he is now, glorified. You know, there's an old phrase, um, man, you could be so heavenly minded that you're no, no earthly good, right? You've heard that before? Well, actually, I think what Paul is saying here is the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. Because if you are anchored with this kind of identity, you won't be resigned, you won't be anxious. You'll be able to engage, you'll actually be able to maneuver this life with a kind of poise, with a kind of joy, with a kind of faith, with a kind of hope that can overcome the twisted and crooked generation of the world. And so that's, that's the second point. We've talked about our place. What is our place? Our place, if you're in Christ, is seated in the heavenly places. It's with Christ. But what about our place in the city? When you understand your place before God, when you understand who you actually are in Christ, then you can actually understand your place now. Now, this sermon's a little bit of a play, right? We're... we're we're talking, I mean, obviously kind of in our vision casting time, we, we want to have a stable place to worship and to do ministry and to do children's ministry and student ministry and college ministry. We want to have a stable place. It will be a great place for us in the city. But I want you to hear this. Our place, Christ's covenant's place in the city is so much bigger than any building will be able to contain. And, and this, I think, is what this sermon is driving us to. So the exhortation, work out your salvation. Live as if you are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And what is some of the evidence of that? What does that look like? And here's just one example. Again, there's so much that that means, but just one example, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing I like the translation that says complaining. Don't do all things without grumbling or complaining. If you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, you can actually live this life now without grumbling, without complaining. Do what you're supposed to do and don't complain about it. Now, this could manifest itself in a number of situations, right? So I'll just give you a few practical ones. Children, children that are here, see some of you, obey your parents without grumbling or complaining, okay? That's really hard. I, <laughs> it's hard for my kids, and I think they're perfect. So go to work. Go do your work. Go do the work that you have without grumbling or complaining. Honor the authorities that are in your life, your boss, teachers, without grumbling or complaining. Engage in the political process, without grumbling or complaining. Be a good church member without grumbling or complaining. Be a good neighbor without grumbling or complaining. I could keep going, but that's why Paul just said, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, why do people grumble and complain? Well, because it works, right? You grumble and complain enough, people will say, okay. <laughs> I do that with my own kids. I know that's bad parenting, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, you can have another cookie. Just stop asking me. Of course, we, we grumble and complain because it kind of works. People listen to us. Um, but Paul says here, no, that's, 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 that's like the world. That's not who you are. 
Do all things without grumbling, complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God. See where he's going at here? See the identity piece? Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation. Of course the world is going to grumble and complain. And the world's going to be okay with it. The world is going to do all sorts of things and be okay with it that you are not called to do in Christ. It's a crooked and a twisted generation. But you are called to a different plane. You have a different identity. You, you live among a people who are getting their identity, as we talked about last week, from their work or their status or their wealth or their money or how much people like them or their relationship or whatever it is. But you are the kind of people in Christ who are seated with God in the heavenly places. You are the kind of people in Christ who have an eternal validity, an eternal value with God in Christ. Do all things without grumbling or playing. Don't behave as the world behaves. And guess what? If this happens, I want you to hear this. Paul says, you shine as lights in the world. You will shine. You will be different. You will be an anchor of hope in, among the crooked and twisted generation, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, we talk a lot about the gathered church and the scattered church. And I really, I talk a lot about this because I want you to understand this. The gathered church and the scattered church. You are no less the church when you are scattered than you are when you are gathered. Now, this is really, really important to understand. This is why we have to understand what the church is. So again, we need to gather, right? I understand for those of you watching from home right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We understand that, right? I understand that some of you need to watch from home, but I, I do wanna say there's going to become a time when it's reasonable and safe to not to come and to, to gather and to be a part of this. And I just wanna say, we've, we've already made the decision, we don't know when this will be, but whatever it's reasonable and wise, to cut the live stream, right? Because we don't wanna give you the temptation to not gather. There is a lot that happens here that just can't happen when you're not gathered, right? Because we, are the gathered church. And, and, and in fact, it takes all of us to gather rightly. Your presence here is important. Your presence here is encouraging and it's uplifting and it creates spiritual energy. We're not just consuming content together. We are gathering as a church together. So there's relationship building. There's correction. There's encouragement. There's power in the gathering. When we gather, we are reminded of the word of life, right? That's what Paul is saying here. Don't forget the word of life. Don't forget this faith that you've been called to. We need to gather to be reminded where we are seated. But the church is more than gathering. And this is why understanding the church is so important. If all the church was, was a gathering, if all the church was, was something that you attend, 
then the church only has power on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11, right? That's all the church is, and it only has power when the church is gathered. The gathering is important, but the church is more than that. If the church was only a building, then it only has power in one address, at one place, at one time. If the church is only streamed content, then it only has as much authority as the consumer wants to give it. But if the church, like we see in the New Testament, is the people, the people of God, who both gather gather, and also scatter, there is enormous power in that. The church is the church when it gathers, but it's also the church when it scatters. And you know what? The New Testament uses all these really cool metaphors to talk about who you are, who we are. So this one, what's the metaphor here? Light. You, when you scatter in the crooked and twisted generation, you are light. That's awesome to think about. You ever, you, ever, you ever in darkness, and it's dark, and you can't see, and then a light comes on? You know, even last night, I was walking down this dark driveway, uh, leaving, we were at the marriage retreat, and I was heading out, and it's a long, dark driveway. And I started getting a little scared. And then I turned on my iPhone flashlight. I felt great. Right? That's, that's who you are. It's something that can pierce, a little light can pierce a lot of darkness. That's who you are in this crooked and a twisted generation. I love some of the other language that the New Testament uses when it talks about you. You know who you are? You're priests. Isn't that awesome? You're priests. You are called in Christ to go priest for the world. You know what a priest does? A a, a priest intervenes, a, a priest a priest intercedes for a people to God. You, you, you are the people that, all those people that live around you, all those people that work with you, all those people that you know that don't know the Lord, God's called you to, to priest for them, to intercede for them, to appeal to God for their sake. You are the living temple. I love this illustration. The temple, the place where heaven and earth comes together, the dwelling place of God. That's who you are. When you scatter, you are a living stone of the temple of God scattered throughout our city. You are ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a citizen of one country. And in that country comes all of his or her wealth and Identity and culture and language and security and protection, all the things that that citizen needs comes from his or her home country. But an ambassador is sent to another country where they can work in that country for the good of that country and for the good of your country. And they don't need to take anything from that country because they're here. Their identity is over here. That's who you are in Christ. You're an ambassador as you scatter. Ambassador, temple, priest, light. That's who you are. We want a building. Man, it'd be great to have a building. It'd be great to not have to set up chairs. It'd be great to like have a children's space that doesn't smell like bourbon. You know, it'd be great to have, um, it'd be great to have all these things. Of course we want that. And, 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 and that will be a really good tool for us to gather well if the Lord provides it. But listen, our place in the city is so much bigger than that. You are our place in the city. You, the light, the priest, the ambassador, the temple. We are people who gather. Yes, we need to gather. If we don't gather, we'll forget where we're seated. We'll forget the word of truth. We'll, we'll, our faith will grow weak. But 
But we're also people who scatter. And we scatter to be light. Light is different than the darkness. We scatter to be ambassadors. Ambassadors are different than the citizens of the country that they serve. We scatter to be a temple. The temple's not like all the other buildings. We scatter to be priests. Priest is not like all the other people. You may say, how, <laughs> how could we do this? How could we be so different? You know, <laughs> you talk about changing the world, Jason. That's so audacious. Who are you to think that like people like us could change the world? Where does all this come from? Well, here's where it comes from. It comes from the fact that we are the kind of people that believe that we have a greater ambassador. Jesus himself, the son of God, who left his homeland, where all of his identity and wealth and power and culture and language was, and he came to identify with us not needing anything from this world, but here to serve this world. Because all of his protection and identity and strength was wrapped up in who he was as the son of God. We have an ambassador like that. We have a priest. Oh, we have a priest. We have a priest who came to intercede from us to God and intercedes for us, not with the blood of lambs or any other animal, but with his own blood. He intercedes for us with his perfect life. We have the true temple who's come to us. Jesus is the true temple, the one who, he is the place where heaven and earth meet. He is the dwelling place of God. He's come to be near to us, to, to, to us all over the world. He's the kind of temple that can go everywhere. And Jesus is the true light that has come into the world and darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has come to be an ambassador for you, a priest for you, light to you, the temple for you. And as you look to him and find your identity in him, and you receive the fullness of who he is. Again, once you find that, once you're there, you'll be able to maneuver this world without res resignation. Nothing matters because, no, a lot matters. <laughs> you, you are an ambassador for God. You're the light of God. You're the temple of God. But also without anxiety, because you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In Christ, you, it's as if you're already glorified. So let's look to him. Let's find our identity with him, and we will find in all of that our place here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth, your word, the goodness of it, the helpfulness of it, Lord. Lead us out of these little small identities that we want to make for ourselves. Lead us away from both resignation and anxiety. Lead us to life in the kingdom. Lead us to a poise and a peace that comes in knowing God. Help us to live in this world without grumbling and complaining. Help us to live in this world not as if we are of this world but to find our place, to find our place, our true place, Lord, which is with Christ. And as we find our place in him, we can, we can understand who we, we are here and now. So do this work in your church, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.
So we're going to have a time of response, and I just want to invite anyone here, uh, if you have a question or a comment or, or God's doing something in your life right now, and, and you'd like to talk to me about it uh, and pray with me about it, I, I'd love that opportunity. I always stand over by these doors. Feel free to slip over there. Maybe there's something else that needs to happen, right? Maybe there's a relationship that you need to go and mend. Maybe there's someone that you need to go encourage. Maybe there's something you know God's saying on Monday, you got to go do this. We'll be obedient to do that. But let's respond in obedience. And I invite you to stand as we meditate on these things as Matt leads us.